0: Welcome to M H M Podcast Network on MovieHouseMemories.com. podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. You are listening to the lunchtime movie review at LunchtimeMovieReview.com. and we the are the, of the children of the. The children of Does this mean we have to watch another movie? children of the 80s are back with another classic from our childhood. I'm Shane.
1: I'm Chris.
2: And I'm Patrick.
0: And for this episode, we are reviewing Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, directed by Dr. George Miller and starring Mel Gibson, Tina Turner, Bruce Spence, Frank Thring, Angry Anderson, Robert Grubb. And now, a word from our sponsor.
2: (laughs) This podcast is sponsored by Black Leather Casualware. Is the weather getting you down? Do you find that your normal attire doesn't give you the comfort and protection that you so desperately need? Well, come and try some black leather casual wear. Black leather will keep you warm as it draws in the constant heat of the sun while you're out on a stroll during those cool afternoons on the apocalyptic wasteland. Black leather will also give you the opportunity to stop and enjoy the barren vistas as the tight second skin-like feel will give you that lack of flexibility that prevents you from f- fleeing quickly from the murdering hordes. Black leather also makes it completely unnecessary for you to waste any time pondering what to wear with your ensemble. Black leather goes with everything, including chain mail and baby doll heads. And if you order now, black leather will also throw in a free pair of leather chaps that will allow that Comfortable desert sand to get into all your intimate cracks and crevices. So come on down to black leather casual wear. Tell them that Max sent you.
1: You know, there's a fun (laughs) fact about that is if you wear it, you get half off of everything at the YMCA.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just hope the leather's uh, waterproof and has plenty of sun protection. It doesn't crack (laughs) because the the Australian uh, outback can be pretty harsh. It doesn't sound very vegan-friendly to me, though. (laughs) Okay, so who has our summary for the movie? I've got it.
1: Three pages, uh, 90 minutes long.
0: I'm sure it's going to be very funny seeing it's written by you, Chris.
1: Uh, Hardly, but we'll try. (laughs) All right, in our third exciting installment of the Mad Max series... Max Rakintowski schleps down a desert trail in a camel-drawn V8 wagon. Suddenly, a pilot named Jediah swoops in from the sky with his son, I guess, Jediah Jr. (laughs) I don't know. Did did they ever give a name for these fellas? Uh, No. And he knocks Max right off his uh, wagon. Uh, Jediah hops onto it from the plane, and Junior flies off with the plane for... Who knows what they're going to do. Max follows them on foot to a place called Barter Town, the most advanced civilization around. So advanced, they even have basic electricity and black leather chaps. (laughs) However, Max isn't welcome in the town because he has nothing of value to trade besides his sweet, sweet ass. He does convince the main trader to, Take him to talk with Bartertown's ruler, anti Entity, where she decides that she'll help him if he helps her first wink-wink, nudge-nudge. Turns out that Bartertown's electrical supply depends on methane, ref- methane refined from pig shit. And an arrogant dwarf named Master and his bodyguard named Blaster are in charge. Patrick, uh, I guess this now officially qualifies as a fantasy film? It does. With the uh, with the uh, presence of Master, right? Correct. She has an uneasy truce with them for control of Barter Town, but of late, Master has been a little prick. She tells Max to confront Blaster so they, their conflict can be resolved with the duel to the death in the gladiatorial arena called Thunderdome. Max agrees. After he sizes up his opponents, he challenges Blaster to... A fight and wins but refuses to kill him because he learns Blaster has something like Down Syndrome or nuclear fallout disease or do we know anybody Bueller no <laughs> okay anyway Max tells Auntie in front of everyone that he's not going to go through with the deal Master not knowing of Auntie's deal is a little pissed and he vows to shut down the refinery the refinery in retaliation with no electricity, this would effectively close down Bartertown. Auntie has one of her goons kill Blaster and imprisons Master in the refinery. She then exiles Max by binding his wrists, throwing him on the back of a horse, and sending him off into the wasteland, where we get the song Horse with No Name. Fun fact uh, Soon, a young woman named Savannah rescues Max and takes him to her village called Planet Earth. This place is a small town of children and teens living in an oasis like the Blue Lagoon. Uh, the childrens are descendants of a crashed Boeing 747 whose parents, I guess, abandoned them. Who the fuck knows? They didn't tell us. Savannah thinks Max is the 747's old captain named G. L. Walker, but he tells them they're wrong. That night, while Max sleeps, Savannah and the other tribe member, Savannah and another tribe member named Screw gather a number of children, and set out to find a place called Tomorrow Morrow Land. The next morning, Max goes to save them, and by the time he catches up to them, a sinkhole is in the midst of swallowing them all. Max saves all but one of them, the red-shirted kid, and finds that they are now without sufficient supplies to return to the, the oasis. And unfortunately, Bartertown is the next closest village, so they have to go there. Once there, Max steals Master and destroys the methane refinery once and for all. Auntie takes chase with her goons to retrieve Master. They catch up to this train truck thing Max is on and he and Screwloose commandeer some of the goons' vehicles to slow Auntie down. As it appears they're going to escape, the train truck thingy comes to the end of the line of the railroad tracks. As it comes to a halt, Little Jedediah Jr. from the beginning of the film is there to rob him, but when he spots Auntie and her boys in Hot Pursuit, he flees. Max and his group follow him underground where they find Jedediah chilling in bed with a Maxim magazine or whatever Australia's current magazine is similar. (laughs) Max makes Jedediah fly them all to safety in his airplane. However, they no longer have enough runway to take off, so Max gets in. A vehicle and clears a path through Auntie's gang of cars. As he crashes through them, the plane takes off. However, Max is now alone, defenseless, and staring down the barrels of Auntie's guns. Instead of killing Max, she spares his life out of the respect she's gained for him, I guess. Uh, she and her goons leave to rebuild Bartertown. Jedediah flies the children to the ruins of Sydney. Years pass and we find Savannah is now the leader of this group and their small community has prospered there. Every night before bed, she recites them the story of their journey and tells of the man who saved them. No word on if she's using G.L. Walker or Max. We don't know. The film ends with Max still alive in the desert as he walks off to an unknown future, not to be seen again for about 20 years. (laughs)
0: <laughs> the end in another form tom hardy uh well done well done uh that was very good chris not as uh, hilarious as i was expecting but to the point <laughs> and a lot better than what i was, would have done uh the movie there was started,
1: nothing hilarious there there's no nothing hilarious about this
0: film. no not really i'm I'm really keen to know what you guys thought of the film that's for sure but first all um stats uh all i could really find was off a bit of box office now It says domestic, and then it says worldwide, and it's exactly the same total. So this is not going to be correct, but uh, it says domestic, which meaning USA domestic, uh, odd dollars But in Australia, it was released a month earlier. So in the US, it was released in July on the 12th, 1985. Uh, It was released in Australia on the 29th of June, 1985. And in Australian box office, it reached $4,272, a little bit bit in change after that. So that's really huge for 85 box office money. That is a big, big success. Uh, It did not get any Oscar nominations. I was a little surprised, but it did get a Golden Globe um, nomination for the song, We Don't Need Another Hero. And yeah, that's all I could really find on stats. I'll start with you, Patrick. What's your? Let's start with some likes. What did you like about this film, or any points you want to bring up?
2: Well, uh, you know, I, I when this film came out, it was at the time, and I will stress at the time, was my favorite of the Mad Max films. It, was it? it? It was. It was, it, and it was probably the because it was the most access, accessible to me that. Uh, The original Mad Max wasn't shown that often um, and I didn't have an extensive VHS collection at this point Uh, but this came out and then came on HBO frequently and partially because it was pg-13 it would play during the day as well so i got to see it many times so that's probably why i liked it i also really like the song uh, i like the two the two tiner turner songs both in it uh, you, we don't need another hero and one of the living i, I i've always liked those songs a lot um yeah and, great and this was the only mad max film and even to this day the only mad max film that i ever saw in the theaters uh, was this film? Uh, because I was this is my theater going days. I was too young when Road Warrior came out and it was R rated, and then I had kids when uh, Fury Road came out, so I didn't catch that one in the theater. I had to catch that. No, one home. shame. So, but. You know, I had a much bigger television by the time Fury Road came out. (laughs) But, you know, there was I I was very familiar with who Mel Gibson was. I I was very familiar with the Mad Max series. I had been exposed to them through Road Warrior first and then the original Mad Max. uh, And I really liked both of those films, Road Warrior more so. But this was the one I saw most often when I was a kid. Um, I will say it is not my favorite still now of the series but i still enjoy the film i still think it's a very uh, good film
0: chris what about you what we'll start with likes what did you like about the film
1: the cast uh, i did like tina turner as the villain although pseudo villain i mean she wasn't completely evil like the other films uh, but um i don't have a whole lot of likes to say about this film Ooh.
0: I hear you. I I don't like it as much as I used to, but what I do like about it still is definitely Tina Turner. I agree with you, Chris, although I really wanted more from her. She wasn't evil. She she had a huge presence. And even jumping forward to the end, her and Max didn't have a real big final confrontation that I was hoping they would. You know, there was just a few words. past, and then that's it. I thought they would have just come together a little bit more. I love the Thunderdome scene, although not as much, again, as I used to, but it's still so well done and so well edited. Max uh, is just brilliantly portrayed by Mel Gibson. There's big chunks of this movie I don't like, so we'll get into dislikes in a minute, but the songs, those two songs, one of The Living in particular, it's great opening credits scene, really good opening credits music. And we don't need another hero fits in perfectly at the end. Yeah. So that, that's what I like. And the, the, the Dean Semler uh, cinematography, not as good as the previous film, Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, but um, his cinematography really looked great again. And um, Maurice Yarr, or Jar, I think it's a silent J, he did the score Um really big composer. He did Lawrence of Arabia and so many other big films. I think the score isolated was really good too. Um, what about dislikes, Patrick? What didn't you like about this movie?
2: Well, uh, And now I'm going to talk about the film from a perspective of now, you know, 35 years later. Yes. <laughs> my per- perceptions of this film. Uh, I will honestly say now this is my least favorite of the four Mad Max films that have come out. It's, it's watered down. It is not ultra-violent like uh, Road Warrior or even Mad Max. And I think think the appeal to almost a kiddie audience by adding the elements of the kids, making it PG-13, it kind of neutered Mad Max to a certain extent, that there's a lot of repetition of what we have we've had before we've got you know there's and, and this is my kind of the complaint about most mad max films there's an element of okay now is the time for a big chase and it's always in the the, the climax of the film is it, let's chase them, and it happened in fury road it happens in road warrior and yeah and it and it doesn't it's, it seems very repetitive and this seems to be the least interesting of all the chases mainly because they're stuck on a track <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a train track
2: exactly, yeah. and it and it just it's not as dynamic as the road races in the Road Warrior and in Fury Road, uh, and it and it just didn't play nearly as interesting as I, it did in those two particular films. The, there's certain things you know because I, I you know I hadn't watched this film probably in 20 years. It's been a long time since I've seen this film, and and uh, going back and watching it now and then doing the research for it, there was things that they talked about what they were intending to do. uh, Not even so much with symbolism, but character evolution of max that I go, Oh, wow. I, I see where they were trying to do that. They didn't quite pull it off, but they, you know, this, this could have been a much, much better film, but it seems like they rushed and covered up some of their, the themes and kind of storylines that they wanted to create for max. And it would have been, I think, a better film if they probably spent about five or ten minutes longer developing some stuff in the film because it would have, it would have had a more of an emotional payout and goes a long way for explaining why Max does what he does at the end of the film.
0: Yeah, that's true. It would have been a bit – I think it was already too much padded out in that middle section with the kids yeah. um, for, for them to extend any further Max stuff. Yeah. by oh. then everyone would have been bored to tears
2: yeah Let me, oh and i forgot if to I, say <laughs> I, I don't care about the kids i really really don't yeah i i, I really I don't care about the kids that was the least interesting part of it um i always i remembered even back in the day i like when they're at you know barter town thunderdome and i like the you know somewhat like the chase at the end but i get really bored in that middle sequence with the kids and their delusions of what's going to happen
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then some of the kids are good actors. Some aren't, but, um, yeah, that's my least favorite part too. Chris, what about you? Any dislikes? I think I know what you're going to say.
1: Well, I don't think I've seen this more than two or three times because when I watched this film, I literally remembered nothing other than, uh, Max blowing the whistle in the Thunderdome. That's all I remembered. So I was blown away with, with the kids portion and, that was boring. And on top of that, half of the kids stayed at that Oasis they didn't even seem to care that, uh, they left half of them, uh, or I should say the majority of them at that Boeing 747 and started this new life in Sydney. So uh, I'm like, well, (laughs) these people are just as much assholes as the Barter town people. But I mean, you know, it's dystopian world. Okay. But, uh, everything, once they put them on that horse, everything after, I was bored. I lost interest, and uh, I didn't even care for the chase. I think part of it is because you know, um, Fury Road was great. It was basically just two chases over the uh, the entire course of the film: go one way, turn around, come back, and that's the whole film. And they did it very well. So this was, I would say, unfairly on my part uh, a bad standard to compare it to. But I, I wasn't even into the chase at all, and that Screw Loose Kid was not. Uh, what did they call them in the uh, Fury Road, uh, the, the little boys? Uh, yeah, they had a name. I've forgotten what it is. Pony Boy. Already. I don't know. Outsiders. Anyway, they were done so much better in that film. Once again, inappropriately comparing it to that film. But uh, no, nothing about this film interested me once he was on the horse.
0: What about the two men enter, one man leaves uh, <laughs> scenario and, you know, welcome to another edition of Thunderdome. Did you actually like that
1: set piece? I thought it was fine, but uh, it's been parodied so much now. Uh, I guess that that's a testament to how great this scene is, though. But uh, yeah, it was uh, the whole Thunderdome scene was great. Uh, As far as I'm concerned, that should have been the climax of the film, but it wasn't.
0: Patrick, what about you? Did you like the actual Thunderdome sequence and how it was set up?
2: Oh no! I absolutely, I think it's. Uh, I agree with Chris. It's the highlight of the film, and it's uh, actually my uh, manta for or manta for life. Is like two men enter, one man leave in almost every sequence. But uh, it's no. It, it, it was such a highlight to that portion of the film, and then you immediately follow that with desert and Kids, which is the least interesting and
1: gets really yeah. dull. And, uh, they, and they and sh- don't even pronounce the words correctly. And it's a poor attempt at bad, ignorant grammar. Bad from- grammar. Yeah.
2: So, yeah.
0: Yeah. That, obviously, that's what they were going for. And yeah, that's what I mean. Some acted acted great. Others weren't. Um, Anna Goanna, played by Justin Clark, I thought was a standout. She always stood out to me. Savannah Nix, that actress whose name escapes me right now, but she's pretty good. And there's, there's a few of those kids that grew up to be Actors remain to be actors on a lot of Australian television and bit parts in in various movies, but they, other than Justin Clark, many of them just did not continue acting um, and doing what they were doing. What about um, as a character, Tina Turner, like it's a lot of singers go over and do movies, and then sing, and move. You know, movie stars go and sing. But what about this one? Uh, what do you think of Tina's performance? She'd been in movies before this, obviously, and, and movies after this. But did you think she was good, Patrick? I,
2: I I thought she did fine for what she had to do. She didn't have a yeah. lot to do. She has, I mean, she basically, other than driving a car uh, at the end of the film, uh, she she has two major sequences, which is you know, convincing Max to. Enter into the Thunderdome uh, deal and then her big speech in the Thunderdome to everyone else when she's trying to basically uh, persuade the crowd to believe what she needs to believe rather than have them turn against her after uh, Max reveals that they had a deal in front of Master Blaster. Uh, And those are the two big acting sequences for other than that she she has very little do but she did fine in what she did have I thought she I mean obviously she wore the costume well I I remember hearing at the time that it was like a fit because it was chain mails like a 50 pound costume so it was not an easy yeah that did not look comfortable no it did not especially (laughs) if she had to really jump from a somewhat height down to the ground of Thunderdome I'm sure it wasn't quite that high but that was a, a, a powerful sequence there
0: Photography, it wouldn't have been that high. Uh, what about you, Chris? Did you like Tina Turner's performance or, or any of her uh, henchmen stand out? Uh,
1: as far as Tina Turner, for the marketing, I always felt that they pushed her on us. I remember the marketing when this came out, and that seemed to be all that they talked about. And so that kind of turned me off. But actually, seeing her in the film, she just seems like a very happy person to me. So it, it was kind of <laughs> throwing me off that she was uh, in this dystopian, uh, wasteland and, uh, you know, and just ruling everybody through, I guess, authority. I don't know. Be, but, um, I thought she was just a pleasant person. She's not somebody that I thought was fearsome and disliked. I would have liked to have lived in her town, to be honest. So,
0: <laughs> Would you like to live in her lair? I thought her lair and the production design of that was very cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she was 49, too, by the way, when she filmed this.
2: <laughs> Which makes me feel tremendously old at this point, because I thought she looked so old back then when I saw this. But now she's, she was actually younger than I am now. So, Yeah, I thought, well, she still looks
0: great. I don't know if you've oh, seen she, Tina she, lately.
2: But she looked great, but amazing. I remember. Yeah, I, th- I mean, she looked And she continues to look great for her age, uh, even to this point in time. But... Uh, in, you know, in 1985, you know, she, she was ancient, you know, she was came from a time of music before I was born. <laughs> so it it it's hard to suddenly wrap my head around that she was younger than I was, than I am at this moment when she made this film.
0: <laughs> 46, actually, I had my nine, I had my six upside down. So she was 46, so even younger. Um, and on top and
1: of at- that, she shaved her head, right? Correct. For this role?
0: Yeah, yeah. And look at look at those earrings, too. They wouldn't have been light. they were hanging off those although they were actually wrapped around. The costumes are something I want to ask you guys about as well, but yeah her those earrings always stood out and I love the poster, just the image of the poster of her on it, and the costume really I wish she had returned in some form in Fury Road or or had some sort of um, daughter or something that had a similar uh, look to her because that just would have been a good homage. I also wanted to mention about Tina Turner in the mid-80s. This had something to do with it, her being in Australia filming this movie, but she actually fronted the NRL campaign with her song Simply the Best. So NRL, people who don't know, is like NFL in Australia, but it's rugby league. And um, there was a big marketing campaign with her singing Simply the Best And um, all a lot of players, you know, it was like a video clip. You can see it on YouTube. It was a huge success. And it really built up the profile of NRL at the time. So uh, people love Tina Turner. She came over to the grand final, which is what we call our Super Bowl. She played live at the grand final. And yeah, it was a massive event, you know, mid 80s. Everyone loved Tina Turner in Australia.
1: And all we got was hands across America. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, we never got that. Uh, So what else? Anything, any extra things you want to mention? Um, I'll kick off by just saying that I noticed that some of the extras in the barter town and some of the henchmen that were Tina Turner's sort of uh, groupies, they had fake mohawks. Some were like wearing mohawks that were strapped on. I noticed there was like things under their chins Uh, and others were real mohawks. So they had a combination there. Also, they speeded up. A lot of the action action scenes again, which I know they did in the in the previous movie, but I don't know if I like that. Makes it look a little bit more exciting, I guess. But yeah, um, that was something I wasn't keen on. And the Atomic Cafe was the name of the cafe in town, and that's actually uh, a movie, a documentary that was from the early eighties. I don't know if George Miller sort of modeled it off that. But, yeah, I just thought that was worth noting as well. So anything random stuff that you guys would like to bring up?
2: Well, we haven't talked about Max himself, Mel Gibson, and his performance in this. Yeah, um,
0: true. I haven't brought him up yet.
2: And, and <laughs> so, you No, know, it's the – you know, and, as and this is going back to what I kind of hinted at or talked about before, like doing the research for this, they were talking about that there was – this film was supposed to kind of symbolize how Max had evolved – And there was a scene that was taken out where uh, basically he broke down when he kind of realizes that he had become kind of like one of the uh, marauding horde who killed his wife and child in the first film. Mm. And that goes a long way to explaining why he goes to such, uh, you know, these extreme levels to be heroic towards the kids and the later end of the portion, especially letting them go and let basically that he's willing to sacrifice himself because this idea that he, he has a penance to pay is he, he became as evil as, as the people he used to try to arrest and fight against in the first film. And I don't think they effectively conveyed that. And I think that scene that they took out was, was a crucial scene that I would have gone a long way to explaining way he the way he was because he's literally a gun for hire he's going to go kill you know blaster in thunderdome yeah Yeah. and you know that you know that that is not a heroic action yeah he wants his stuff back but he's going to kill a person to get it and and that he finally has that you know epiphany right as he's about to smash blaster in the face with the the hammer and backs off and i I know there was uh, there there's some connection uh, there or reading some research that some people say hey there was uh, a mentally challenged character in the first film and they they kind of it could have been conveyed that this was that same character or it just was that's right yeah yeah brought back the memory to him of his past life and caused him to stop and it's like these are great points. Why didn't you emphasize that a little bit more and go and stop? Cause this is not an extremely long film. I mean, if you would have added six or seven more minutes of story development or taken six or so seven more minutes out of the kid portion of it in the middle of the film, I think it would have been a much better film and a much better role for Mel Gibson. Cause otherwise what you have is he hardly says anything through as he hardly says in any of the films, but It seems like he's sleepwalking through the role. He doesn't seem to be as dynamic. Things seem to be happening around him and he occasionally reacts to it, but he's not, he's not the proponent of most of these things. You know, the kids are the ones kids pull him back to barter town. Kids are the ones who break in down, down there. He's going to help them but they're the one instigating things and then masters the one like, let's get on the train and go, you know, he's not leading this. He's just along for the ride, which does happen again in fury road as well, because uh, Furioso is the one who kind of leads the charge and he's just along for the ride. And that one as well.
0: Uh, before you go, Chris, I, I agree. Um, they could have taken actually 16 or 17 rather than six or seven minutes out of, uh, the whole child portion and the Lord of the Flies watered down a of the flies type scenes that they had. I actually think they would have thrown a lot of money at Mel Gibson to, to do it. I don't think he was very keen after Mad Max 2 to, to return to the role. I mean, there was talk after this one a decade or so later that Heath legend I've mentioned this when we've talked about Mad Max previously, on Movie House Memories, that Heath Ledger was going to be in Son of Max, which would have been, uh, you know, another Mad Max movie, probably because they starred together in The Patriot. So there was all this talk about them playing Mad Max and Mad Max Jr. That never obviously happened. I,
1: I, I don't know. I think, I think it was think... tentatively titled uh, Back Max, if I remember correctly.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, good one. <laughs> uh, but I, I think – in Mad Max 2, Patrick, he he showed compassion then too, you know, obviously with that feral kid and the town, that he, well, that group of people that he say sort of helped with their truck to get fuel. So, yeah, I mean, there was Mad Max was, I mean, Mel Gibson was kind of sleepwalking through moments of this film, but he still had a presence for me. He still was good, but I don't think he really wanted to do it exactly. I just have that feeling that they threw money at him, Warner Brothers, because they, they're the ones who really pumped this movie. Yeah. Chris, well, what about you? Any random stuff or talk? anything
1: you want to say about Mel Gibson? I, this might have been my first Mel Gibson film I saw. I can't remember if I saw that or Gallipoli first, to be honest. Mm. It was This was the first of the Max films, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, uh, that's
0: interesting. That but anyway,
1: interesting. Bruce Spence, I think it's hilarious that they brought him back it's a different character than his previous film, but they're just like, ah, bring him back, fit him in somewhere. And to be honest with you, if you would have taken the kids out and had him and his son be like the villains or something, I would have enjoyed that film much better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Bruce Brent is another one who's um, pretty iconic in Australia. He's been in so many movies. Whenever a movie production from overseas comes to Australia to film, he usually pops up in it somewhere. I mean, he's got that really weird looking face. Well, he's but, been in so many different franchises.
2: Yeah. Well, it kind of going back to the Mel Gibson aspect. I mean, th- what is not really conveyed is kind of the timeline of this. Is obviously Max is supposed to be older in this film, but like once again doing well, it's our fake, research fake
0: gray hair that he's put, they put in.
2: Yeah. But in the research they, they kind of lay out the timeline that Road Warrior was supposed to take place five years after Mad Max, which actually was filmed two years after Mad Max. This film was supposed to take place 20 years after Road Warrior. So 25 years later after the original mad max but this only was filmed six years later i mean first of all he doesn't look that old but i don't really think they i, I think they had miss a big opportunity to convey like w- what this character became after 25 years you know of it's living. a long time yeah and that to kind of have i i think i like the idea of what they were intending to do i just don't think they executed it well in this film showing this kind of like uh, th- this epiphany and this character returning to who he was 25 years later after being changed by the life he led for that long a period of time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that, I mean, I love, Matt, I love Mel Gibson, but yeah, that, that's 25 years is a long gap and there would have been a lot more you could have explored. I'm glad they didn't do flashbacks, though. That That would have been something that might not have been a good thing for this film. All right, so I'll start off with you, Chris. Uh, does it stand the test of time?
1: Well, I don't remember. Even though I know I saw it a couple times back in the 80s when it came out, I don't really remember anything. It, it's all right, but uh, it does not stand the test of time for me simply because it was done so much better in, in Fury Road at this point. So, you know, th- this one was just not my style. It Maybe if I would have had more nostalgia for it, uh, from when I saw it as a kid, but I just don't. So, no, it does not stand the test of time for me. Patrick? You, you know, I I still did enjoy it.
2: It, it. It's not as good. I romanticized what this film was. As I said, it's a watered-down version of what I remember the Mad Max films are, are about. But I still enjoyed watching it. It's got slow moments. Uh, it is not it is my, it's my least favorite of the four Mad Max, four existing Mad Max films. There's still plans for more. But at the end of the day, I still think it's entertaining enough for people to watch. I think there's still a magic to that character. And the completist in me is like, hey, this you need to see this if you're going to see all the rest. You know, I wouldn't skip... The third chapter in a four chapter book, you know, it's it, this is something you should see. And and if you like Fury Road, it's it's got the elements of it. I agree with Chris Fury Road does it better. I think Road Warrior does it better, but it doesn't do it. Oh, that yeah. doesn't do it badly. There was there, I mean, there was a lot of post apocalyptic uh, apocalyptic films that came out in the 80s, you know, Steel Dawn and shit like that. This is still heads, uh, uh, you know, leagues above uh, those types of films. So, yeah, I would say it's still worthy and it still uh, stands the test of time.
0: Steel Dawn wasn't that bad. (laughs) Yeah, it was.
2: Steel Dawn is bad.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, there were so many Italian, especially Italian uh, ripoffs of apocalyptic movies and then they were dubbed into English or they had an American actor and they went over and filmed in Italy. That There were so many of them. Uh, you're right. I, I actually agree with you, Chris. I don't think it does stand the test of time. And I've seen this movie so many times since I first saw it at the cinema when I was a kid, one of my local cinemas. I've seen it on the big big screen since. I've interviewed people from it. Um, I have it on VHS, DVD, and now watching it for this, I have it on 4K, but it's still a vanilla release. There are no extras at all. It's just the movie which I think sucks because you were talking about a deleted scene Patrick and there's, there's stuff on the National Film and Sound Archive of Australia. That website will have a few things, especially a lot of production photos and things but that's all like Honestly, it really needs a special edition. I don't know if they're waiting for another Mad Max to come out to do it or there's a rights issue, but there's just nothing which sucks. Uh, there is a documentary coming out soon. At the time of recording this, it's not released yet, but it's called Beyond the Wasteland, and that's uh, filmed Already by a group of people who absolutely love Mad Max. It's like a fan film that's turned into this huge documentary. It's touring the country, Australia. So that might be available online one day. It's called Beyond the Wasteland. And I just look forward to another Mad Max. Fury Road really was a simple story, but it was spectacular. So I'm glad it was a big hit. I don't think anyone thought it was going to be a big hit at the time. And this movie, Beyond Thunderdome, is really the, my least favourite. That kid portion, Lord of the Flies type thing, whatever it's supposed to be, uh, just doesn't work. It didn't work for me then in 1985. It doesn't work for me now still. Now I'm just going to fast forward that whole 45 minutes every time I watch this movie again, I think. And that's, sorry if any of the filmmakers out there are listening, but that's the way it is. Well, that's it for our review for Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Please let us know what you think of the film in the comments section and for all our listeners over on moviehousememories.com. All the hate mail can go to that to me, no problem at all. <laughs> please rate it from one to five stars on, those, on that page as well. If you enjoyed today's review, please don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, the Movie House Memories Podcast Network, MHM, Where we have many, many, many more film reviews from yesterday, today, and beyond.
2: Don't forget to subscribe to Shane's YouTube channel as well. Wow, there's
1: a bell.
0: (laughs) That's not my (laughs) end. That's not me.
1: uh, I got mail. That's Uh. what that is. (laughs) Shane has his own
2: YouTube channel, The Movie Analyst with Shane Adam Bassett, where he does interviews of many stars and filmmakers, uh, where you can also find that on YouTube. So you should subscribe to that because he's too humble to say anything about it.
0: Uh, Thanks, Patrick. Yeah, I wouldn't have said that, but thank you. So um, until next time, I'm Chris. No, I'm not, I am Shane. (laughs) I'm Just reading that. I'm Shane. I'm Chris.
2: And I'm perturbed Patrick.
0: (laughs) And um, we are off to the gulag because as you know, um, if you beat bust the deal you face the wheel we have to get out of here and you guys are invited is intended for entertainment and information purposes only the theme music for lunchtime movie review fireworks is provided courtesy of alexander nakaranda at serpentsoundstudios.com under a creative commons attribution 4.0 license all original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of mhm podcast network lunchtime movie review and fuzzy bunny slippers entertainment llc unless otherwise noted